Welcome to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Credit Sites podcast. This is Winnie Caesar, Global Head of Strategy. And today I am joined by Andrew Brady, who is our head of basic industry and then also our senior analyst covering the chemical sector. And today we're going to be talking about all things chemicals. This is actually a sector that I'm not particularly conversant in. So I'm pretty excited to get a little bit more knowledge on the world of chems. Thanks for joining me today, Andrew. Great. Thanks, Winnie. Happy to. Great. So let's start with our traditional icebreaker question. And that is, if you could have a sneak peek at any piece of economic, credit market, or sector-specific data for the rest of the year, what would it be and why? I actually want a little bit in fantasy world. I want to get the uh, ISM Purchase Manager Index, but for the whole fourth quarter, even though they don't release it, but monthly. And that's a good one for us because that tells us where the manufacturing economy is. Our production is correlates extremely well with that. If you look at GDP, sometimes there's a difference between the service economy, the manufacturing economy, and we've gotten caught with that maybe like, you know, in the early 2000s and uh, the manufacturing economy was declining while the service economy was expanding. So we just want to make sure that we're on point with that. And that will tell us all we need to know about the second half of the year, which I think is what we're looking at right now. That is so interesting that and super relevant to what we're looking at on the strategy side of things. I've been taking a look at economic data in past Fed rate hiking cycles and what it looks like leading into kind of the point where the Fed has paused historically. And right now we do have this weird dichotomy between the industrial side of the economy and data not looking particularly healthy, things like construction spending and industrial production but the services and consumer side still looking pretty good. So kind of running that forward and trying to figure out how things are going to look at the end of this year, I think would be wildly useful to both you and me in all of our efforts. Yeah, I think in the 0102 recession, when it came out, services came out strong, manufacturing came out weak, and we need a whole other year before our side actually hit. So I'm looking at some of the data as well, and I'm a little bit concerned that manufacturing seems to be kind of in the contraction mode right now. Yeah. So with that concern, how are you positioned for chemicals? What's your current sector recommendation and why? We are currently overweight chemicals. We put that trade on in December. I think at the time chemicals was 24 basis points outside of the index. Now we're a little bit more like 15 outside. So we're still wide to the index. We're high beta, deep cyclical sector. So what happens is if strategy is saying or talking about some tightening, like I think you guys are at 125 for the year end or something like that, that's still a decent amount of tightening. We usually follow that. Sometimes we actually tighten more than the overall index in those scenarios. 
So as long as the economy remains resilient, it doesn't even have to be strong, just has to be resilient and uh, natural gas prices remain low and spreads tighten, that's pretty good environment for the chemical sector. Yeah, absolutely. We are calling for tighter spreads throughout the course of the year. And so I think it does make sense to have a constructive view, especially from a RELVAL perspective for these sectors that can withstand some slowing down, but also offer a good amount of incremental yield and spread compensation. What would make you think more negatively about the sector and kind of move off of the outperform recommendation? Yeah, I think that the big thing for us is kind of what we opened up with was with the manufacturing economy. If that drops off or there's signs that, um, I mean, if you have the break of it where services expanding, manufacturing is declining, that's going to cause us a lot of concern. But also if we're just talking about a deeper recession, some kind of more extended recession, so if we start signaling stuff around that, we're going to have to move to either a market weight, depending on how difficult conditions are potentially an underweight if things are dramatically going to change. Yeah, it's such a tricky thing too, especially for a lot of these more industrial and commodities aligned sectors, because we're clearly coming off of recent cyclical strength and cyclical highs and trying to figure out where exactly is the bottom or where do we shake out feels like a really hard exercise across a number of different sectors. And it's also true in technology where you had so much investment, so much spending, and now we're trying to figure out where does the tech sector go from here on out? It, everyone is trying to figure out what the new normal is, and it has not been a particularly easy process for anyone. Yeah, I think chemicals is a bit difficult in that there's just such a breadth of names and a breadth of fundamentals. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons why, you know, if things start trading off, it could be in like fertilizers or agriculture or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the more manufacturing focused names, or the, and then we have some cuspy names that are manufacturing focused. It's going to be really difficult if manufacturing conditions deteriorate significantly. Yeah, absolutely. So how about the primary market side of things? What are you thinking in terms of new issue? Is new issue an event in terms of driving valuations? Are we expecting any sort of consolidation in M&A? What's your outlook for new issue? I think for us, new issue, there's been a bit of a new issue pause like outside of refinancing and things like that, I think that's pretty much steady year to year. And the big changes are, are what goes on on the M&A side. There was some decent M&A last year. And I think it's almost, you know, the ones that got in maybe at too high a price point and things came off. And now we're just trying to deal with them as the cuspy ones and what's going to exactly happen, which made the sector interesting. But right now, I don't think companies are trying to put that on. In the past, we've had several companies file for bankruptcy because they bought at the absolute top commoditized names. Things came off like a Lion Dell, Bazel, they actually ended up filing. So I think people have learned a bit from that. In terms of M&A, I think we think 2023 is going to be lower than 2022. And if conditions start improving, we actually expect 2024 to be where things go back to like historical norms. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. That's how we've been thinking about issuance more broadly. Our official forecast for IG is that we see issuance decline a bit this year relative to last year. And a lot of it is just that swing factor of M&A and kind of general corporate proceeds. You know, cost of capital has increased across the board for IG and high yield. So figuring out what you're going to do with your capital structure is a little bit more challenging. And with equity market volatility and rates market volatility, it's not a particularly conducive environment to consolidation. 
that we are starting to see all those measures of all come down quite significantly, which I think means that deals are probably going to start to be pitched by bankers over the next couple of months. And then you start to see the pipeline build for perhaps late 2023 announcements, 2024 financings, and maybe we'll see a little bit more of that type of activity in the next 12 months, but in the near term, probably a little bit lower of an expectation on the macro side as well. Yeah, I think that dovetails pretty well with what we're thinking. And the management teams, I think, are nibbling a little bit or thinking about it a little bit. But I just think they need more clarity on the economy and nobody wants to put on a lot of leverage and then go into a fairly significant recession or long recession. I think that's really what kind of hurts the chemical sector is when you get over your skis in a situation like that. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder what do you think management teams are kind of focused on for this earnings season? What do you think the message is going to be given that there is such a, a level of uncertainty around the outlook for the economy? Yeah, I think the first quarter is uh, January, February, March. There's very seasonal factors, but really from November to February, you don't really get a good read on it. So March mm -hmm. is kind of your first read. And then April is really spring construction season. A lot of auto bills, a lot of people buy cars in the spring mm -hmm. for whatever reason. So we see a, a big jump in demand. So I think for chemicals, the, the biggest quarter is the second quarter because you're like April, May, June are all strong quarters. Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to get a lot of insight into where the economy is for March and April. So hopefully some positive notes on where the economy is. And then it's uh, probably like supply chain management. We've been having some issues with that, how long that will continue. Hopefully it's wrapping up. And then for more specialized names, there was a big jump in input costs for rising oil prices. Oil prices have come down. So they should be able to catch up on that. So some color around that should be helpful. And uh, yeah, I think those are probably the main themes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm looking at some of the analyst expectations for Q1 earnings season. And it seems in some ways almost like throwaway quarter, like people are pretty bearish in terms of aggregate earnings and aggregate revenue. There's definitely a lot of moving pieces within those aggregated forecasts. But I think what will be more important is how management teams are talking about kind of the pipeline and expectations for the rest of the year, because I think that there's a sentiment that Maybe some of the worst of these pressures on the inflation side, on the supply chain side, are starting to be more behind us. And hopefully we can kind of continue to see decent consumer sentiment, decent construction and manufacturing activity, maybe not at the COVID peaks and the COVID highs, but something that is relatively stable. So we'll all be watching earnings very closely. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely going to be about the outlook. And, and for chemical companies, it usually is. We heard talk about some people just running off 2023 altogether. And that if you're strong coming into 2024, you're supposed to be a buyer because you should be able to ride through this. So, <gasps> oh my gosh. But yeah. what's the next decade going to be? Are we now buyers yeah, of 2030? Right. It's crazy. I think the hardest part at being an analyst at the moment is trying to figure out what people have actually priced in and how far they're looking ahead. It's been a bit of a challenge. We definitely have some names that you know, probably not going to do well until 2024, maybe even 2025 that have caught some bids. And it's been a little bit, I would just say unsettling that they're looking that far ahead. Yeah, it's really tricky. And there's so many just kind of cross currents of information and expectations that making sense of it all is really challenging. So on that, what keeps you up at night when you think about the chemical sector and your recommendation? What are you worried about? Are there obvious risks or kind of less obvious risks? Yeah, I mean, the biggest one we just keep touching on is the economy. 
basically deep cyclicals. Companies usually go bankrupt in recessions in the chemical sector. I mean, I've seen that as the third one I've been through. This is probably so far been the most shallow, but if we have a change in that. We're probably, you know, not supposed to be overweight right now. We're probably supposed to be underweight and we're probably not supposed to recommend cuspy names. So part of it is if it goes recession that we're not positioned correctly for it. And then, you know, just the impact that it would have on the sector. The other thing we're looking at is right now we have low natural gas costs, about two and a quarter for the, I think for the first contract in the futures. So that's pretty much historical lows. It's been as high as 14. Obviously that was maybe a decade or two ago, but more recently it's been in the five to $6 range. We had issues in Europe with natural gas prices spiking. So any kind of changes on that keep us up at night. Uh, a jump in the U.S. prices would probably impact us across the board. But just kind of differences between the different regions also would be interesting or difficult. Sometimes I wonder how I get to sleep with a job like this because there's always just so many risks. And I guess the other big one is the supply chain. Generally, companies have been saying that it should have stopped you know, mid-2022 and then it was late 2022. And now they're talking first, second quarter, 23. Is that ending? And if it were to continue, I think it's going to be a continual drag on operating margins. And then if you have some slowdown in economics or the, in the economy, I think that's going to be difficult for our sector. Yeah, I empathize with the how do I sleep with this job because I will sometimes wake up at 3M with just the most random concern about the credit market. And I don't need that in my life. And yet this is what we've chosen for ourselves. Yeah. We have to love it in some weird way. Yeah, absolutely. So what type of role does China play on your sector more broadly? I know it's very relevant for WEN on metals and mining, yeah. but I would imagine in CHEMS, there's some influence there. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a big deal in, in the metal sector, and it, it's a sizable deal in the chemical sector. And I think it's just mostly on the demand side, is mm -hmm. that there's a lot of demand that goes into that country. And if China's not pulling on that demand, it kind of has to go someplace else. Mm -hmm. And so it's like a global logistical problem in terms of overall global demand. If China opens, then we're going to see a big jump in demand, which really should tighten up a lot of different sectors and really go a long way towards helping the chemical sector. Might even be a reason why the, the ISM up until now has been a little bit on the contractionary side in the U.S. because we still even export a lot out to other countries, some being China. And then if China is not drawing, maybe those countries don't need as much product. So it kind of ripples through our system. So I guess in, in short, it would be a pretty decent positive if it were to open a little quicker and be a little bit stronger. But it's not to the same degree as the metal sector, but it's, mm -hmm. it's up there for us. Yeah, absolutely. So within all of these different kind of worries and expectations, let's talk some single names, specifically a pick, a pan, maybe a carry trade. What are some of the issuers that you think investors should be taking a closer look at both positively and negatively? Our best pick is still Salonese. That's a cuspy name. It's got exposure to China. It has exposure to Europe. It has exposure to European gas. I think that's another reason why it was, was pretty wide. It had a difficult time coming to market. It came when conditions were very difficult. Investor sentiment was very negative. They were supposed to be a big cross-border deal. They ended up downsizing it quite a bit, just going in the U.S. And then they waited a week 
placed it in Europe. And in my experience, when the bear sentiment gets exceedingly negative, there's usually an opportunity for some decent spread tightening on the other side of it. So I think it came in like 340, maybe somewhere around there. It's around 250, 255 right now. So it has, it has a lot of tightening. And I still think there's a decent amount to go, assuming that uh, the, the economy stays resilient. And they need to get leverage down to around four times. There were one of those names that we talked about that made that big acquisition probably when they shouldn't have. And I think that the last two quarters has kind of delayed their deleveraging plans. They're supposed to be three times levered by the end of next year. It looks that most likely they're going to miss that, but maybe not miss it by much. So there's definitely consternation on investors' parts. Like if it, they come in instead of three times, they're 3.1 or 3.2. Our agency is going to take them down to high yield. I don't think they are. I think that they realize there's a recession. And by the end of 2024, if we're out of it, I think that they should be fine and they can easily show how they're going to be maybe, you know, six months down the line, be where they need to be. So no need to cut and then restore us. I think it's kind of our thinking still trades the wires in the chemical sector. So we still like that name. In terms of names that we're less positive on, yeah, we have an underweight on Dow Chemical, and they're in the petrochemical industry, so they're very commoditized. They definitely have some downstream operations, but there's a ton of supply coming online. Demand's been pretty weak. We went to an industry conference in March, and you know they're talking about maybe not having better conditions until 2025. So things are loose. If you get a recession, I think they would definitely have a difficult situation, even if there's not a recession, I think it's going to take a while to rebuild margins into that. The only issue is if people look through 2023 into 2024 and are just like, we're positive that we're fine in 2024, people might get a nibble on that. In that scenario, we still would say, hey, maybe you're supposed to be in a Lyondell Basel, which is maybe 10, 15 basis points wider than that, more commoditized, and that we think that they would do better in that. So even in that scenario, I think we would recommend a different name, although they both are probably going to move in tandem, we would go for the higher yield. And then a carry trade, we look at a name like Mosaic. So they're a fertilizer producer. Agricultural fundamentals are really strong right now. There's a really low inventories out there. And I think it's not supposed to maybe get balanced until 24, 25. The issue there is we had a super peak in 2022. And 2023 is just going to be really good. So if you go from super to really good, you're probably going to get some spread widening. But how much exactly are you going to get? We don't think it's going to be terribly bad because a lot of that excess is going to shareholders anyways. Like, I don't think they're, they're paying down any more debt. They're just kind of riding it out. So we think that it trades 180, 185 over. There's other names that have more manufacturing exposure where the conditions aren't as solid, where you're taking economic risk. So I guess we've been saying that it's a good, less volatile trade than the other ones. So decent carry trade. Um, so we kind of like that one. Yeah, I think that after the past year, people are looking for the less volatile as much as they can. You know, we had a wild ride in 2022 and 2023 has been better, but still not particularly calm given some of the issues that we've had on the banking side of things and people fearing recession. So those are great trade ideas. Let's wrap it up with words of wisdom. I know that management teams love it when analysts try to give them advice. That's exactly what they're looking for. But if you had the opportunity to talk to the management teams in the chemical sector, trying to navigate the current economic market environments, what would you tell them? 
Yeah, and that's another really good question. And I thought about it a lot. I think the idea is control what you can control. And what that means in the chemical sector is there's all these externalities that really, to be frank, we don't actually know the answer to. We've got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. And you really need to have contingency plans. Like, what are we going to do if we get a deep recession? You know, what businesses can we sell? What costs can we cut? Are we going to need to finance? That kind of thing. And then if things are getting better, where are we going to invest? What are our high ROI projects and things like that? I think very early on in my career, I was talking to one of the companies. He just said, we can't control the cycle. All we can control is what we can do as the cycle progresses. So just learn how to ride it as best you can and contingency plan, contingency plan, contingency. That makes a lot of sense. It sounds like words of wisdom from my parents. Control what you can control, for sure. I'll probably tell my kids that later today when they have some sort of meltdown. Andrew, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the Credit Sites podcast. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for having me, Winnie. Credit Sites disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.